When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Dan from Desert Island Dicks. Today we have the comedian, writer and actor Alistair Green. He's very funny. You've seen his videos on Twitter and they've made you laugh. So listen to him make you laugh while we talk about the worst people and things he could be stuck with on an island. As always, I'd just like to get in here that uh, it would be wonderful if you could like and subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a little review and a rating. That really helps us out. And it doesn't take very long. You know, it's one of those things you think, oh, I can't be bothered. They always say that podcast, don't they? But actually, actually, I've done it myself for other podcasts. and, And I've just found it a wonderful, uplifting experience. So, you know, take it from me here on the other side as someone who's done it and been there and done that. Let me share my wisdom with you. I'm talking shit. But anyway, it'd be really nice if you could, so we'd appreciate it. Uh, That's enough from me. So let's listen to a podcast, shall we? Which one? I'll tell you which one. Let's listen to Desert Island Dicks with Alistair Green. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest. And here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian, actor and writer Alistair Green. How are you doing? Yeah, good. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. I'm all right. I nearly did that thing of actually telling you how I am rather than just doing the polite thing of just sort of carrying on normally. Oh, yeah, do uh, don't do that. I, I don't care. Anymore. <laughs> good, good. Um, so, Alistair, we're about to share with the audience the people and things you'd least like to be stuck with on a desert island. Mm. Was this an easy task for you, sort of compiling your list, or is it ever-changing? You know, is it difficult to whittle it down? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, it's difficult to whittle down. Yeah, there's quite a lot of things that annoy me, and it's, you know, what is the thing that annoys me the most? And I mean, I've got a good selection of things, I think, in terms of the people. I've got a broad range of type of person that that would annoy me that I wouldn't want to be stuck with. The sketches you post online, are they types of people that actually annoy you? I mean, with those types of people would be, would you find those types of people difficult to be stuck with on an island? No, not, no, maybe a few of them, but they're not always people that that annoy me. They're just, I mean... They're just kind of supposed to be sort of character studies of, of that sounds way too wanky. They're just supposed to be little scenes of things happening. Mm. But quite a lot of the time, they're just people I kind of I, I or a situation I would find interesting and I just let it let it play out. Fair enough. OK, well, uh, let's get into it. Who's going to be the first person joining you on the island today? Well, this is kind of, if you've ever been in this, this is a kind of type of person, kind of situation that I'm talking about. So if you've ever been in a pub with someone and if you're in a pub with a mate, say, and your mate has brought a friend and then who you don't know and then your mate goes to the toilet and you don't really get on with the friend. It's that type of person who you're like, 
you don't hate them, but they're just, for whatever, you don't quite click with them. You're on different kind of wavelengths. And I think that would be much worse than someone you actually hate. You know, like it would be worse than being stuck with Hitler or something like that. Because, you, you know, you'd be like, oh, it's too awkward. You know, although obviously it might be quite awkward with Hitler as well. But <laughs> with, with that kind of person, it's, it's just quite tense. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? You can't, yeah. You've got nothing in common. It's, you're stuck on the island with them now and again. You go, oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we've been up. No, nothing. Nothing much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, just that tension of you can't have a love, someone with no sense of humour. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think those things are extra awkward because it sort of puts into question your relationship with your friend a little bit because you're like, you're good friends with this person. Right. You're good friends with me. Am I like this person or like, why do you like this person? You're not a dick. Right, right. I mean, I t- I've got a friend that I talk about. We say it to each other's faces. We say, I don't understand how you're friends with that person. I don't get it. It, it makes me question you. you know? <laughs> yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? Because especially when you've known someone for years and you kind of think you're like, mm. you know so much about each other's traits and quirks and stuff. When sometimes, yeah. sometimes, I mean, you know, you're talking about more of like a little niggly thing of not quite sort of mm. getting on. Sometimes it's even worse, though. Sometimes you just think this person's a complete bellend. Yeah, I, I guess that you don't want your interests to 100% align with your friends, though, I suppose. Mm. Otherwise, that would be too boring. Yeah. But by the same time, you can't be friends with someone who you have nothing in common with whatsoever. Yeah. So there's a sweet spot there somewhere. And the only natural natural sort of solution to that is to accept that with even with your best friend in the world, there is going to be certain things about them that annoy you. That's yeah. as good as it gets with friendship. That's as good as it can possibly get. In it, you know, because if you're too close beyond that, it's not going to work either. Yeah, no, fair enough. And I think in a desert island, I mean, that moment where your friend goes to the toilet and you're left with the other guy, I mean, this is just that extended forever, isn't it, really, for the rest mm. of your life until one of mm. you dies or was killed or whatever. Mm. I suppose it's a sort of distant cousin of just sort of being stuck in a lift with someone, isn't it? yeah. But I, I would think in this scenario, if you're on the island with them, the difference would be at some point you would probably broach that subject and go, hey, look, we don't get on really. Have you ever thought about that? Or do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I think at what point, if you're never going to escape the island, at what point do you go, maybe there's some merit to finding out the truth of this dynamic. Yeah. Let's confront it. Whereas in the example where you're in a lift, there's very little point confronting it or it would look weird or in the pub, you know, you've got two hours till closing, you never have to see it. It's, it's, it's just not worth the interaction. But if for a prolonged period of time, it's quite possibly worth exploring that and saying, why do, why do you think we don't get on? Mm. You know, trying to see their side as well. Yeah. I mean, it'd be awkward if they went, oh, I, I thought we got on really well. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that's the worst of all worlds. Now it's even worse than it was. Yeah. I would just drown myself in that scenario. I'd go, okay, see you later. And I just wade into the sea and never come back. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's a very good first, a very good start because I just think you've laid a lovely bed of, of awkwardness there, you know, on which mm. to build the rest mm. of this colony. So, um, yeah, I think it's a very strong introduction. So, who else is going to join them? Who's the second person? Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> okay. 
because he thinks he know he'd be constantly thinks he knows it all. Uh, what you want to do, mate, with that? You, if you're going to do that SOS side, you go. Oh, you can't get anything right. You know, he go. No, you, with the way you smash open a coconut. You, so there's no point trying anything. You're just constantly undermined and belittled. Your whole identity stripped away because he's the expert in that scenario. You know, mm. it's the same as if you were there with say Ant Middleton or like. That Tom Hanks and Castaway. It's the mm. same principle. It's like, oh fucking hell, you're forever, but you know, you're forever in the shadow of this person, like being on, like being stuck with your dad for eternity. <laughs> <laughs> Just can never escape there. Never escape it. Just the worst. Anything you try, they go, nah. You've done that. You've done that. Well, I've made this raft. Well, you've done that wrong. You should attach the. You know, you need to attach the palm leaf like that. Mm. Go, oh god, oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry, Mr. Expert. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I think also what's interesting about Robinson Crusoe, I mean, if you had a modern day survival expert, at least you'd have a bit more sort of shared experience. I mean, with Robinson Crusoe, he's also, you know, from a completely different era. So he's going to have very different values as well, which could make things quite awkward at times. Well, I'd say that, I mean, the, 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 the question there is, um, you point out a good question there, which is how is he still alive? You know, given that it was written at some point in the eight, in the nineteenth century, so you know that he'd be whatever age he is. I mean, two hundred years old or whatever. We can play with the rules of it. I mean, we can have him the age that he was when he was in the story, yeah, yeah. if we want. Yeah. So you know, we can have the character Robinson Crusoe. But you're suggesting he he would be bringing um, the the he would be talking about eighteen hundreds things. Yeah, and uh, he's <laughs> you know he's talking about the repeal of the Corn Laws or whatever, and I'm going TikTok's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> they go, I don't know what that is. So it's even worse. Yeah. You know, although that is a way for me to claw back some uh, authority in that situation. I go, yeah. well, you don't know about You haven't even got the internet. You know, you don't know anything, mate. I've seen, I, I would say to him, I've seen Castaway. And he'd go, what's that? I go, well, it's a bit weird because it's sort of based on you, but, you know, I know how to get out of this situation. I don't even know if Robinson Crusoe eventually got rescued. I imagine he did in the book. I've never yeah. read it. But. Yeah, I don't know the story. It's a weird one, though, because it's the template for all uh, stranded survivors. It's uh, There's no other, there's no, you know, I'm sure there are other novels written about people stranded on desert islands, but we don't know them. Robinson Crusoe is the platonic idea of the of the stranded person on an island, right? Yeah. He's almost an adjective, you know, he's a, he described He's a descriptive. Oh, you've gone all Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. Just thinking though, to, I mean, because even if you sort of said, "I've seen Castaway," and then you made a reference to Wilson, like you'd have to explain yeah. to him what a volleyball was, or you know, like yeah. he, like even that, he'd be like, "What's a volleyball? Like, what frivolous notion is this?" Yeah, yeah, you'd have yeah, you'd have to explain how the plane went down in the sea and, and explain the concept of flight. He really is an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> I think, yeah, just in general, I think someone of the nature of Robinson Crusoe would just be very impatient with modern people, I think. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And with a, a sort of stiff upper lip that we could never hope to to have. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'd be whimpering and crying. <laughs> I can't do anything. I'm rubbish at this. And he would be much more, I think he'd be, you know, he, he'd be very authoritative and know what he's doing. And that's why I'd hate him. All right, and who's going to be the final piece in the puzzle of human dicks here? This one is sort of, I don't want to name them specifically, but I can think of a few people in my head. But it's a type of person who moves from being a sort of TV presenter into the kind of wellness area and writes a book about it. 
So one of those, I mean, couldn't even call it a book. And they're called, you know, they're called things like feeling good or whatever, or this kind of very vague guide to life and well-being and mental health. And this kind of like, well, not specific, mental health is perhaps something different, but that kind of wellness thing mm. where they ha- you don't need any qualification to do it. You just, you kind of segue into it from TV and light entertainment. And it's another thing where it's become a sort of, you know, I guess it's the publishing industry really is, is responsible for that because they presumably would contact the, the, the person's agent and go, hey, would they be interested in writing a book? I'll tell you what's big now, you know, and it's just people in reality shows do it, that, that kind of thing. So that kind of person, you know, that kind of wellness stuff, when you're trying to survive and smash open a coconut or whatever, or kill a pig or whatever it is you have to do, that I think that would that would grate on me slightly, and the knowledge that they had a, some sort of book as well would annoy me. Yeah, yeah. Especially if they somehow had managed to smuggle the book w- with them, I think you know, and start to try and read it. I think that would that, that that would be that would be too much. Yeah, maybe they were, they died whilst maybe the plane crashed while they were on a promo tour or something like that. Yeah, I mean, from their point of view, I totally get it because you're on TV. Someone says, "Do you want?" a load of money to do this book you know just after christmas when people are feeling shit about themselves and you go well i'm not in great shape but yeah you hire me a trainer i'll suddenly look quite good and then i'll get it ghost written but there's not going to be anything that useful it's not like you're going to have like they've written the buddhist text for you so that you can go and go now i can be content in all places with just myself you know can lose all sense of ego right right so there is there is there in, in that a sort of count if, if you're not a religious person, which I'm not, it feels counterintuitive to say this, but I think exactly what you're saying. Learn a religious text then. At least there's some historical significance or some cultural mm. significance to it, rather than this thing which has no value. You know, at least learn, you, you know, rather than you've got no qualification to say this. I don't, you, you know, it makes no sense at all. I'd rather read the Bible, the Quran, whatever, the, the Buddhist text, whatever. At least then it's, you know, it's 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 of interest. Yeah, because it's kind of like the dream catcher. That came from a culture that believed in it and it ties into all their beliefs that go back however many years, you know. And so for them, it's like, yeah, hang up a, a dream catcher in, in, your, in your dwelling. Mm. But if you're just sort of someone who lives in London, works in an office goes out on the weekend, got a dream catcher tattoo because you're spiritual. Like this is, you know, these books are the equivalent of the dream catcher tattoo, I think. Mm. You know, it's sort of, mm. it's meaningless. Yeah. Sometimes I think with stuff like that, and I think this about a lot of things, sometimes I go, maybe I'm being too harsh there if it helps people. And then I sort of think, nah, nah, it's shit. Mm. Just say, you know, I think we're getting to a point now where people are too sort of, worried about calling things shit not enough people call stuff shit anymore it's just this way too supportive of you know these terrible ideas but i think it's fine to be like that because it's not like you know it's, it's 2022 now there's enough texts written that can help us and i don't think that davina mccall's new health book right is is going to be the one that's going to change everything it's like i've done some really tricky interviews in my time and there's one thing that's kept me going and here i am yeah. to pass pass my knowledge on to yeah. you and i think it's distinct from people's beliefs are, are fine i don't really care you know if they want if they believe in 
whatever they believe in, it's fine. It's none of, none of my business. But it's when it's packaged up and marketed as this kind of thing, it, it really annoys me. Yeah. And I think it's distinct from, for example, the other night I was watching uh, Gemma Collins' documentary about self-harming, and I thought, oh, this is good. This is raising awareness. People will watch this. It may help them. That's a very different proposition mm. than some vague book, which I think it's about with that kind of wellness thing. It's about the greed of the person who's done it. I think uh, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. And I mean, trying to untangle this person and their book with Robinson Crusoe, <laughs> you know, mm. is going to be mm. so difficult. Right. Well, there's this thing called telly. This person is, is sort of more important than us in our society. And they've written this book. The other thing about that is that it's sort of the wellness industry is sort of tied in with a post-God idea. So it's sort of a religion replacement, mm. that kind of notion of goodness and well-being and what have you. So you'd also have to explain to Robinson Crusoe, oh, you, do you remember church? Let's not really, you know, we didn't really do that as much now, <laughs> in England at least. I'm not sure the part that your friend's friend is playing in this against the well. I mean, they could go either way. I mean, if they're not quite on the same level as you, there's a chance they'll be quite into this person's book as well, just to sort of further alienate you. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the worry in a, in a in a three is that you know you you end up ostracised by the two. There's always always a danger of that. Yeah, well, I think they're fine choices for your people and. Um, yeah, I think there's, you know, going to be a nice mix of, of tension and, and just difficulty just, you know, going about yeah. your daily business. So, yeah, fair play. Okay, Alistair, now mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? My food is uh, nachos that you get in pubs, okay. just covered in that gloop stuff. I, I say this a lot because nothing has ever usurped it. It's the it's the worst thing that can happen. If you go into a pub and there's a table free and you sit down, there's just a plate of half-eaten, and it stinks, that condiments on it. I've got a real thing about condiments as well. I'm very particular. Like, I can't have mayonnaise or ketchup. I can't have it near me. I can't eat with someone eating stuff like that. A burger where it sort of gloops out. But it's mainly that nacho stuff you get in pubs where – you know, they just look like crisps or whatever, just covered in gloop, mm. you know, like any kind of sauce and stuff. And I'm not talking about traditional kind of Mexican food or whatever, which I'm fine with. I'm talking about that cheap kind of chemical stuff that's, that stinks. The mess of it. I hate it. I hate <laughs> it. I don't know what they do. They must like make them and then just leave them for a bit. So, you know, you pick up one and the whole big like yeah. thing of cheese just comes off with one. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Awful, awful, awful. Yeah, the salt, the fat on it, the grease. It's, oh, it's just dreadful, awful thing. I'd rather just have crisps, I think. Well, I think we sort of, the, the that kind of pub food is you can't really better nuts and crisps because they're dry and, you know, they're salted quite a bit. But I think if you're covering things in gloop, it's like you don't want that. It's really it's really not not the thing that should be accompanying drinking in the pub. Eating that on a desert island as well, I mean, that's your only food. Again, you've got to explain it to Robinson Crusoe. The TV presenter, she's on a health kick, or he's on a health kick, whoever they are. Yeah. They're, they don't want to touch the nachos. There's no nutritional value to it. It's all salt and, and fat. You'll be dehydrated. It, you know, be terrible, give you no energy. Yeah, It's the worst possible thing you could have with you. 
Yeah. Because they sort of don't start off that great and then they end worse. Yeah. Well, obviously, you're going to need to wash that down with something, given the dry nature of it. What's your What's your drink choice going to be? Uh, the, the drink I can't bear is some vodka Red Bull, and I've only ever drunk it on one occasion, and I'd never touch it again, and it sent me absolutely insane. There's very few drinks I actively really dislike. You know, I may not like sort of things like WKD or Lucasaid or those fizzy kind of things, but this particular drink, there's something so nasty about it. It's something really unpleasant. It's like liquid badness. It's like the devil. You know, it's, it's, uh, and I, on one occasion I went, when I was much younger, I drunk, because it used to be a thing when I grew up in, in, in Romford, but I don't know if it still is, if people still drink it, although I don't think young people drink as much now. But back when I grew up in, in clubs and stuff, vodka, everyone was drinking vodka Red Bulls. And it got you so wired. It was like the worst kind of drug because you'd be very drunk and very inebriated, but tons of energy and angry. Yeah. I, on the one night that I drunk it, uh, I remember getting really angry in a, in a kebab shop and thinking that I'd been mugged. There was no one else in the kebab shop. I just suddenly, my mate told me, well, my mate was there as well, and he, he said I suddenly flipped and I went, someone's just nicked my phone. And I was like, tried to run out, ran into the, you know, the plate glass window, forgot where the door was. I was running out the street. My phone was in my pocket. You know, this was so. It's one of those drinks. That I think, you know, I don't know. I don't know about regulating it, but it's such a nasty, unpleasant drink that brings out the worst in people. Yeah, and it's a fast drink. You know, it's a people neck it, and it's and it hits, gets into your bloodstream very quickly, and it's very unpleasant. Yeah, because it's a bit like, what can we do to make this night a bit fightier? Yeah, it's lethal. Yeah, a bunch of people in a confined space. And then feeding them that. So it's, it's a recipe for violence. I like vodka as a drink, but one of the good things about it is it sort of, it just goes so well with things. It just sort of makes things taste a bit more grown up, you know, so you put it with juice or whatever, mm. and it mm. still just tastes like juice, but a bit, bit of an edge. Mm. But Red Bull's not a nice starting point. So it's like, what if mm. this Red Bull tasted a bit worse? Yeah. I'm not sure when the first energy drinks were, but it feels like a 90s thing, mid to late 90s thing. Yeah, it? mid to late 90s, I would say. And then there was monster energy. I mean, you still see the, the, the people I see drinking it, people, if I, if, you know, if I happen to be up very early, the people on their way to work or finishing a night shift or, mm. or whatever, necking it on the, on the tube to get to work or to get home from work and keep them awake long enough. Yeah. I mean, that's the only practical application I can see for something like that. Yeah, you know, a legal stimulant that's not not ca- if you don't want caffeine. I found they do one now that is like a Red Bull that doesn't taste of Red Bull, and I keep that in the car because I'm always. I found that like now I have two children. I, mm. When I have to drive up to my mum's in Leicester, there's constantly times I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to fall asleep at the wheel, and there's no services around, so I just have to like get a can out and neck it, and it's like, but it's very much like a smash glass in case of emergency sort of yeah, thing you yeah, know so yeah. it's drink this or like crash my car with my family in yeah so it's the lesser of two evils really yeah but um yeah god i mean there's people who for whom nachos and vodka and red bull would be like great night out yeah which is quite depressing <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think so yeah Okay, well, fortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? My least favourite film that I've never managed to sit through is uh, The Shawshank Redemption. 
Mm. I think it's my least favorite because so many people you say it say it's their favorite, I, and I, you know, the contrarian in me immediately goes, "Well, I mean, really?" I, I've watched maybe half an hour of it, and just like I can't, this is unbearable. Just the sort of quasi spiritual element to it, and blah blah. If you're making a prison film, make it proper. You know, make scum or you know. Well, I don't, I don't like this kind of. I've never managed to get through it. I, I've made, I think the most I've watched is half an hour. Or the other films, any, and I noticed, and I'm trying to retrain myself, is any musical. I just mm. can't do it. I've tried so hard. And I don't know if it's a childhood thing where, where when, I, when I was a kid, we had one VHS tape, and on it was Star Wars and The Sound of Music. And I wasn't allowed to watch Star Wars, and my sister wanted to watch Sound of Music because it was on one tape. Um, so I wonder if it's that sort of, that sort of thing that's that it's annoying me for, but it's mainly the the stuff like the Shawshank Redemption, or I just just the idea of it just being there, and you know the wellness person and Robinson Crusoe watching that and enjoying it, and ironically it's about escape, I guess, um, but I still wouldn't appreciate that. That would probably annoy me more. It's one of those where people are like, you haven't seen the Shawshank Redemption. Like yeah, people get quite, yeah, yeah, they get yeah. quite sort of um, affronted by it, you know. And it's, I think it's because it's, it's, yeah, it becomes a part of their identity. It is a part of someone's identity. If you say, "What's your favorite film?" I mean, I don't know my favorite. I haven't got one. But some, for some people, it's a very important thing. It's quite threatening if you go, "That's a piece of shit," because they take it very personally. Mm. Or, and I wonder if it is also about. Uh, as kind of herd mentality there where there's a little you know if, uh, unconsciously you know that a lot of people like this film so you go okay that's good i'm part of this you know i'm part of this group and mm, yeah it's quite that's a safety thing maybe it's been on telly and i remember thinking well this is the one that everyone says is brilliant it's like modern classic and mm. it just feels like yeah it's a bit slow and it's a bit Bit earnest, isn't it? It's a bit mm, sort of... That's what it is. I hate all that. Anything where it's got some strings on it and emotional music and all that stuff is, you know, that that kind, that level of manipulation in any sort of medium is, uh, I think, awful. It's an awful formal film language to use. It's very unimaginative and very uncreative. Yeah, and I, and I feel like with Morgan Freeman, he's sort of become because. He's sort of reached this status where he's such a sort of iconic, you know, he's been the voice of God and we've heard his voice, that voice, you know, instantly recognisable. Mm. So now it's almost a bit cheesy sort of seeing him stuff because you're sort of like mm. old wise Morgan Freeman and it's kind of, mm. I don't know, at the time it's okay, but now it, I don't know, it's like, it's a bit of a sort of parody of it. You know, it's almost like someone yeah. watching someone doing a, an impression of him, if you know what I mean. It's funny, yeah. I mean, with actors, I sort of have some sympathy because I think, you know, mostly actors are not that fussy. And if they happen to tap into something that uh, they can monetize, like, it, it kind of makes sense. If you mm. have a hit film and then filmmakers go, oh, my God, can you do that in our film? You go, yeah, sure, fine. I mean, if I was an actor, I would be exactly the same. I'd be very happy to just be the same person for ages and just, you know, collect the, the money. And, and so, you know, nothing against in there. It's just me, yeah. you know, my relationship with it, watching it. But, um, yeah, so I think that's a fair choice. And then in terms of musicals, you know, I've, I've spoke before on here about 
I find them quite tricky to sort of get into. I find, you know, if it's like my son's watching some new Disney thing and there's some songs in it, I find that fairly inoffensive. And I can sort of, mm. you know, for kids, I think it's great because it's, you know, it's nice for them and there's a song that they enjoy. And mm. to them, the songs are as valid as they are as any other songs. So it's all right. But I think because I'm maybe a bit of a music snob, I'm just like, I just don't think this is very good music. Yeah, it's never particularly good music. Yeah. Well, should we say, you know, in, in in homage to your childhood VHS, should we should we put the two on one videotape for you? So you've got the Shawshank Redemption and uh, and the Sound of Music. I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, the Sound of Music is I haven't seen it. Yeah, same, same. I don't know if it is specifically a kids' film, but it's not really just for grown ups. It's more like a family. Film. When am I going to sit down and watch the Sound of Music? I, I think that about a lot of things, like when 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 people go, oh my god. One day you have to read War and Peace. You go, I can say almost almost certainly I won't. I, I almost certainly won't do that. You know, or anyone goes, you've got to see this film. You've got to read this book. You've got to do this. I go, nah, I really don't. I don't. Same with, I haven't seen E.T. And people say, you've got to watch E.T. Right. Like, but I'm, I'm almost 40. No, it's so depressing. Yeah, don't watch it. Don't watch <laughs> it. It's really depressing. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, that'll save me some time at least. So uh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> good. yeah. Just Google the plots, and you know, you can you can from YouTube clips, you get a gist of it. Yeah. I mean, I think I I understand what happens in it. You know, uh, alien yeah. bike, phone home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know yeah, the deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you, you'd seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, what's what's your song choice going to be? Anything. Um, I've got very sort of visceral hatred of ABBA. So in, anything by ABBA. Mm. wherever i hear it it grates on me so badly i've got a few bad i've got a lot of bands actually that annoy me to the point where i i have to leave the room i cannot be in a room with when it plays i hate it so much and i don't know if it's the associations of people kind of having a good oh my god let's put abba on you know or in some sort of ironic way i feel the same way and i, and I know some people are very this but queen does the same thing to me i just mm. don't know why i just can't listen to it i just go ah oh, it's just annoying to me queen are very marmite aren't they like just like yeah Abba. i mean i'm 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 sort of fine with them but yeah there are people who viscerally hate them <laughs> yeah i really do yeah yeah i don't know what connects those two things um you know or any kind of any kind of noodling kind of 60s psychedelia grateful dead stuff i just like oh god it, it kills me you know but but in particular in particular abba and i've never been able to pinpoint why i mean my parents used to listen to it so maybe that's in the mix somewhere queen i don't i cannot pinpoint why that annoys me it may be overexposure you just yeah. hear the songs over and over everywhere but that said you know every rolling stone song you never you know maybe you get sick of them but it's a different thing. It doesn't annoy me, to, you know, in the same way that Queen and Abba do. Yeah, I think there's a campness to it that I think you've sort of got to kind of get on board with. Yeah. It's something about like, you know, being at a wedding, they put on an Abba mega mix or something and it's a bit, it's kind of being made to dance involuntarily with an auntie or something, mm. I think. It's those associations with Abba. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite difficult to 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 analyze why why it why it grates on me so much i don't know why if it's the melody or the or the sort of kitsch factor or the overexposure of it i don't know but the idea of being exposed to it for prolonged lengths of time on a desert island is yeah it's just too much 
Yeah, I don't think it's music that you could have on and on. And you know, it's very much it serves a purpose. Like you're, mm. it's at a wedding, people are singing along. Mm. I don't know how many people are listening to ABBA at home. Yeah, and I I wonder about the people who are really into ABBA. Mm. It makes me concerned for them. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Well, we'll give you a greatest hits ABBA box set as well then. Yeah, that okay. sounds good. All right. Now, finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? Uh, it's a wasp. Mm. Um, and it only really needs to be one wasp. I think it's because, you know, if you're at a barbecue or something like that, you can, you can get one of those little candles that don't work. Or you can go inside, and this, which is what I do. I just go inside. I go, I'm not dealing with this. I'll eat inside. But if you're stuck in an island with a wasp and it's every single time just following you around, trying to get near you, every time you eat, it's hovering around your mouth, around your fingers. And I think what bothers me about them is, and I have this with any animal capable of flight, is that they can manipulate a dimension that you can't. You know, as in air, mm. you can't fly. A, a wasp can. A wasp can do everything you can do and more, um, but it can't swim. It can't swim, but it can hover above the sea. If you, yeah. you know, if you want to go underwater to avoid, I've seen the seventies films where they do that kind of thing. You know, the swarm and all that stuff. <laughs> so I think that's what bothers me. It's very unpredictable as an animal, mainly due to the dimension. You know, going around in the air, it's got no strict. Uh, you know, because with, with this sort of question, is something like a, a crocodile or something like that. But a crocodile has a sort of predictable pattern. You know what it does. Yeah. You know how to, in theory, evade it. The same with a lion. You know, you can potentially, you can climb a tree or blah, blah, blah. You know what it, if it's crouched down, it's about to attack. It can stalk you, all that stuff. A wasp, you can't really predict it. It's very unpredictable animal. It's, it's chaotic. Yeah. It, it seems to have no, and I think it's also when, when you're a kid, you go, oh, no, no, don't, don't move. You'll make it angry. You're like, what? I, I don't want it to get angry. You know, it's like you've provoked it in some, it's like you're responsible. And you made, <laughs> oh, it's because you made it angry. What did I do? I merely, I, you know, I raised my hand to drink a seven up or something. Oh, you made it angry. Mm. God. Well, and that's maybe it should learn some restraint. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think a, a wasp is a, is a very good choice. I think um, Robinson Crusoe's sitting there kind of telling you to sort of get on with things and don't pay it any mind. Yeah. The celebrity starts off going, look, there's a Navajo trick to dealing with wasps and uh, this is how it goes. And then sort of you have to pretend to go along with it to not hurt their feelings before you get stung. So. Yeah. You know, Alistair, I think you've done a really good job here today. Um, with all the things that you've chosen, they have been good arguments, and um, I totally understand your reasoning behind all of them. I think you've got a, a shitty environment to spend the rest of your life. So, um, well done. Thanks. I look forward to it. <laughs> now, Alistair, uh, where's the best place for people to keep in touch with what you're up to at the minute? Follow me on social media, at Mr. Alistair Green on all the usual apps, everything I do, I post on there. Cool. Okay. And uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll keep up to date with everything you're doing there. And um, thank you so much for coming on Desert Island Dicks today. Thanks for having me.
So there you go. That was Alistair Green here on Desert Island Dicks. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, yeah, that's it really. You know, as always, we'll be back soon with more episodes. So, um, you know, if you subscribe, they'll go straight to your phone or listening device. And um, yes, we're very appreciative of that if you do it. I'm I'm not talking very well today, am I? Never mind. Let me tell you something. Desert Island Dicks is a sync clap production created by James Deacon, produced and presented by me, Dan Benedictus, edited by Chris Attaway. Social media support comes from Jason Leach and Chinsey Clinton. And as always, a special mention to Grandmaster Flash and John Deacon for their unwavering and steadfast support. That's it. We'll be back soon. Thank you very much. Bye.